Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Hey, everybody, from KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Katie Orr, in for Marisa Lagos. And today on The Breakdown, she's a relatively new member of the state assembly, but Los Angeles Democrat Sydney Kamwalker is already making her presence felt on issues like police reform and racial bias. That is right. Assemblywoman Kamwalker is also known for kind of a fun sense of humor and a must-see Twitter feed. We'll get into that with, uh, uh, with her shortly, Katie. But this has really been a week... Uh, yet again, dominated by the COVID-19 pandemic, both in terms uh, of the health implications, but uh, also up in Sacramento, the state budget, which the governor signed on Monday. But on Wednesday, the governor really scaled back this opening of the economy. We've seen it coming. We've known it was going to happen. uh, But closing bars, scaling back uh, in dining restaurants, card rooms uh, not allowed to be open anymore, movie theaters in 19 counties, which is, I think, about 70 percent of the population, Los Angeles and a bunch of other counties. Uh, And this really uh, calls into question perhaps the governor's judgment in reopening when he did. And that's another thing we'll get into with the assemblywoman shortly. But, uh, you know, what's your take on how things are unfolding this week? Oh, man, just in time for summer, right? Your summer blockbuster. (laughs) Stay in your house. Cancel the fireworks. (laughs) Cancel the fireworks. Uh, Yeah, it was a kind of a sober, it's been a sober week uh, pandemic-wise in California. We have been doing so well, really um, succeeded in, in flattening our curve here in the state. We didn't see the big spikes like they did in other places, you know, like in New York, for instance. Um, But now that we're out and moving about, people maybe have gotten a little bit lax about wearing the mask or seeing people that they don't live with. And we were always warned that the cases would spike when this happened. But I think a lot of people are concerned about how much the cases are spiking, uh, including the governor. He's talking about how the the positivity rate or the percentages of tests that come back positive for COVID-19 have really jumped. I think they're about 6% in the state now. And some counties I was looking around are much higher. For instance, Imperial County has... Yeah, that's through the roof. Yeah, it's about like 25%. Um, There are places in the Central Valley where counties have 11%. So it is... um, But, you know... So he is being criticized for that, but he is defending his actions, saying that that it was based on science and that he would do, you know, he he thinks they did the right thing. Yeah, I mean, realistically, yes, it's being driven by data and by science, but also political pressure to a certain extent. I mean, some of those counties, if you think back a few weeks, uh, were really opening anyway 
you know, and I think he tried to uh, at least work with the counties, do that self-attestation, one of those crazy words we use in government, <laughs> uh, basically saying, look, we're going to do these things to make sure we mitigate the spread of the virus. And clearly that has not worked as well as uh, many hoped it would. I mean, you can still say California is in better shape than states like Texas or Florida, where the governors, uh, well, finally, I think in Texas, the governor is saying wear a mask, not so much in Florida. But, you know, it ha- but it hasn't just been this community spread. There were also uh, this week, San Quentin has been in the news where over a thousand inmates have been now uh, uh, infected with the virus. Uh, Kate, one death row inmate died. Um, I think over a hundred uh, workers at the prison also tested positive. And that seemed to have been, you know, sort of, so to speak, a man-made disaster, something that could have been avoided. Right. And I think you're seeing... Um Newsom really start uh, to be held accountable for that in the legislature. You know, lawmakers are angry, saying like like you said that that's this was avoidable, that this didn't need to happen. Um, you, we're seeing people who are still fed up with the process of getting their unemployment checks. I spoke with someone who um, receives care for uh, essential uh, essential. She's an essential worker, so she gets subsidized childcare, and she wasn't sure whether or not that would continue beyond uh, July first, which which we, I found out it will, but there's just a sense of uncertainty that, that people are living with right now. And especially when you're an essential worker and you're worried about the state of your job, it's just something else to add on to, you know, not only am I worried about getting a, the COVID-19, I'm worried about whether I'm going to have money to pay the bills in the coming weeks and months. Yeah, and I mean, EDD, the Employment uh, Development Department, has long been, you know, I would say not a top priority for state government. Uh, it's been a problem that uh, you could say the governor inherited. But, you know, it's one thing to have a problem at EDD when the unemployment rate is 4%, uh, quite something else when it's 16%. And, you know, over a million people are trying to get benefits and sign up. There are problems with technology, long-standing problems with technology. And I'm, I'm sure that is frustrating not only to uh, people trying to use the system, but, uh, you know, to a certain extent to the governor as well. Um, mentioned the the budget this week, which the governor signed, sort of anticlimactic. In fact, he didn't even have a signing ceremony. The uh, legislature had signed off on the budget, more or less. They came to an agreement, uh, and uh, they're just, you know, not a lot of surprises and, and certainly not a lot of good news in that budget. Uh, he's basically giving up on the $6 billion or so in program uh, new programs, progressive programs he'd wanted to enact when he unveiled the budget in January. Uh, so this is really, uh, this is, a, it's been a tough week for the governor. I was I was the pool uh, reporter at his event in, um, uh, over in Contra Costa County on Tuesday, where he was shouted down by Black Lives Matter protesters. So, you know, I think he's getting, getting a little taste of reality, what it <laughs> means to be uh, in charge of the biggest state in the country. Absolutely. And you mentioned the budget. I mean, and no signing ceremony. I think, you know, they try to spin it the best way they can and, and make the most of it. But in the end, at the end of the day, they uh, lawmakers and Newsom had to fill a $54 billion budget hole. And that's not something that they necessarily want to celebrate. Uh, they're still waiting on whether or not the to see whether or not the federal government's going to give us some more money. Um but and they've actually built in, I think it's about eleven billion dollars worth of cuts that they have made, but that they can rescind if that money comes through. So perhaps if that money does come through, we'll get a little more pomp and circumstance. But for the moment, it's kind of a 
somber, uh, you know, budget this yeah, year. Yeah, absolutely. And things could get a lot worse if that money doesn't uh, come from Washington. All right, we're going to take a short break right now. And when we return, we're going to be joined by Los Angeles Assembly Member Sidney Kamlogger. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. And welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer here today with Katie Orr. Marisa Lagos is away on a well-earned vacation. And we're joined now by the woman who represents the 54th Assembly District in Los Angeles. That includes the Crenshaw community, Culver City, Mid-City LA, Westwood, and a whole lot more. Uh, two years ago, she won a special election to replace Assemblyman Sebastian Ridley Thomas, who stepped down. And Sydney Kamlager, welcome to The Breakdown. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, we're happy to have you. And I want to just begin by, we were talking about the COVID-19 pandemic, as everyone is. And a couple Mm. weeks ago, or a few weeks ago, you and one of your colleagues, uh, Senator Steve Glazer, wrote an op-ed that I think was in the Sacramento Bee, warning the governor about reopening the economy too fast. Uh, Why did you feel compelled to do that back then? And, you know, are you feeling a little vindicated right now? (laughs) Well, um... We, I chaired the Los Angeles County delegation, and we, um, during COVID, were continuing to meet. It's me and about 39 other um, assembly members and senators who represent some portion of Los Angeles, talking about PPE, talking about COVID, beginning to look at economic recovery issues, talking about housing and homelessness. And we had a number of sessions with um, Dr. Barbara Ferrer, and began to look at some racial disparities um, regarding COVID-19 and spikes in certain communities. I think pre-April, there were hot spots in some of the um, upper income areas. And then after April, mid-April, that shifted to smaller cities and cities populated by a number of low-income communities and tons of variances. And so it just seemed to me that we needed to um, be a little more thoughtful in how we were responding to the cries about reopenings. I certainly don't think 
you know, I feel vindicated because you don't want the numbers to go up. You don't want folks to die and you certainly don't want more people to be testing positive uh, with Corona. But it certainly shows that um, there is a lot of individualism here in the state of California. And sometimes we have to um, lead and legislate with a little more muscle. I'm just curious, did you hear back from the governor or the governor's office when you wrote that op-ed? Yes. <laughs> and? And? <laughs> well, as I like to tell people, you know, I'm, um, it's very important that Governor Newsom succeed. Um, and, you know, sometimes you can have tough love conversations, but at the end of the day, we're all on the same side. Um, and it's really important that we work together. Um, but you certainly, I mean, no one likes to say something publicly against, um, you know, one of your allies or comrades, you know, in the work. Talk a little bit about the mood at the Capitol right now. You know, having covered it, it's kind of odd just from an outside perspective because, you know, frankly, we're not there. You know, we, we're staying away we from the building. You. Yes, <laughs> we miss you too. <laughs> well, and I, I just wonder, like, what is it, what is your, what are your colleagues feeling like right now? And um, is it, serious? Do you try to keep it light? I mean, because of course, we're not just dealing with COVID, right? We're dealing with the budget that you heard us speak about. And we're dealing with Black Lives Matter issues across the state. So what is the the tone at the Capitol right now? Yeah, it's strange. It's eerie. You know, the beginning of the year, I think a lot of people were focused on wildfire management and housing and homelessness. You know, the governor of state of the state focused solely on those issues. And we were revved up I think, and getting pretty feisty about, you know, how do we tackle these issues? And then COVID happened. And, and now it's it's odd. You're, you're not used to the hustle and the bustle that happens in the Capitol. You're not really able to talk with your colleagues. You're not even able to talk with um, advocates who generally are roaming the halls talking about issues. Um, we, I don't have staff, you know, they work remotely. We're not allowed to have staff come in. And then um, just recently we got a number of emails saying that some workers and staff had tested positive for Corona. Mm. Um, so that is eerie. You know, we have, I have colleagues who are older, who are in some of the high risk populations. And so you're concerned about them. Um, you know, I, you know, I'm married, we have kids. Um, and we have older folks that are in high-risk populations concerned about my interacting with them, given I travel. So it's very strange. I mean, it's it's um, it's like walking into this calcified petri dish, you know, a couple of days a week, and yeah. you kind of just wonder what's going to pop out. Well, in both uh, the pandemic and also, and we'll get to all these other issues about police reform and so on, but those are not things anyone really expected to be dealing with in the way the legislature is now that we're, you know, into July. Right. So I don't think any of us were expecting to deal with it. For those of us who have been championing criminal justice issues, um, it's an unfortunate opportunity. But it's also very hard to convene and have these kinds of uncomfortable uh, but meaningful discussions when people are spatially distanced, you know, and obviously distracted by our economic recovery, by the state deficit, by COVID, you know, this is a very fluid thing. It just didn't, we just didn't reopen and go back to, you know, pre-COVID. So 
it's a whole new world. Getting to issues of, you know, police, um, you have authored AB 2054, which um, expands community participation in emergency response planning. And what I take from that is it's basically a version of, quote unquote, defunding the police, which we have heard so much about uh, in these past couple weeks. Explain a little bit about that bill and what defunding the police means to you. Yeah, so I authored the bill in January. Um, so it was, you know, this is kind of prescient legislation. Um, and it it does say to create um, community responders who can be alternatives to the traditional emergency responders that we deal with now. Um, now, when you call 911, regardless of what the problem is, you know, law enforcement shows up at your door. They have limited tools in their toolkit. Um, oftentimes, you know, the question is, do you want to file a report? Do you want me to make an arrest? And then if that happens, if those answers are yes, then whoever is arrested and charged kind of funnels through this criminal justice shoot that can last for a long time. But they are probably not the best to deal with, you know, domestic issues, mental health issues, substance abuse issues, you know, issues that are not criminal or illegal activity, but they may be problems or they may be emergencies in someone's home or in a neighborhood. And so how do we take law enforcement out of those equations? Um, the adrenaline and the tactics that they use when they are you know, dealing with an armed robber um, are probably not the same tactics or is not the adrenaline level that they need when dealing with someone with mental health issues. And so AB 2054 creates a pilot project where we would grant um, up to 12 sort of pilots across the state um, to look at this as an alternative to dealing with crises in neighborhoods. I want to ask you about a, a hearing uh, last year in the Public Safety Committee. Mm -hmm. It was the use of force bill, uh, police use of force. And you shared a very powerful personal story about uh, coming home one day, yes. finding the police at your house, responding to a burglar alarm. Can you <clears throat> just, uh, you know, recount that for us? What happened? Sure. So, you know, AB 392 had um, sucked a lot of life out of the legislature because it's such a potent and emotional issue. And we should um, just say that this would change the standards for use of force. That's right. That's right. And so it had gone through a couple of iterations and um, everyone who was supportive of the bill was working with law enforcement to kind of figure out what the right compromise was. And in that committee, um, we heard from a number of folks testifying, but I felt compelled to share my story because, you know, people think, oh, you have certain privileges if you're a legislator, um, you know, or maybe if you have a certain background. And so these issues don't affect you. And I had to tell people that, you know, they do. Uh, and they did. My, I, the door, uh, one of our doors had been left open. The alarm went off. My husband was not home. He said, hey, when you get home, can you, can you turn off the alarm? You know, the police might show up. I happened to be around the corner, so it didn't take me very long to get home. When I got home, there were four police officers in my house waiting for me. They did tell me that the back door had been open, which was how they got in. And of course, nothing was stolen. Um, it wasn't forced entry. And while they were calmly, nicely talking to me, um, 
I got very nervous. My legs started to shake. I started to cry. And, I, you know, and I, I like absolutely nothing was wrong, but I was afraid. I was afraid that if my husband happened to be nearby and decided to come to check on me because of what had happened, that they might think he was an intruder because we don't look like the folks who generally live in that neighborhood. And I thought, my God, if they shoot my husband or if they shoot me because I make a sudden or wrong movement, you know, WTF. Um, And so I had to share it to let folks know that you have to take rationale out of the equation when you're dealing with certain populations in law enforcement, because there's just fear that's embedded in people. And you have to recognize that trauma if you're going to move forward with solutions. If you're just joining us, I'm Scott Schaefer here with KQED politics reporter Katie Orr. We're talking with Los Angeles Assemblywoman Sydney Kamlogger. And you know, st- sticking with this issue of the police, you uh, grew up in Chicago. You were born and raised in Chicago, came to California for school later. But I'm just wondering, you know, the the people, uh, you know, the, the community in Chicago has had a very difficult history yeah. with the police department over the years. And I'm wondering, as a young, you know, girl growing up there or young woman even, did you uh, experience any of that? No, you know, the funny thing is I was born in Chicago and then I lived in New York because my mother um, is an actress. And so she moved us to Brooklyn before it was hip um, (laughs) to try to make it in the business. And I never had any kind of, you know, altercation um, until I moved out here, sunny Mm. California. So go figure. But my parents were, um, they're biracial, and so they certainly had to deal with um, issues around racism and segregation in Chicago. Um, And we certainly kind of knew growing up to stay close to home and to be well-behaved because the police are not necessarily your friends. Um, So I certainly did grow up kind of making sure that I was on my P's and Q's, but I think it was as much about knowing this and hearing stories of other folks who had run-ins with the police as it was just being deathly afraid of my mother and getting into trouble. I, I wonder, so one, one thing we noticed about you and, and our research is you do such fun, um, tick, not TikTok, I'm old. Um, you do <laughs> that, such... that TikTok, I know. <laughs> You'll conquer what TikTok is the, next. TikTok-ity, uh, <laughs> on Twitter, you do such fun videos. And I know that you, as you mentioned, your mom is an actress, your dad is an artist. Um, so I wonder if you take, your stepdad, I should say, is an artist, should, do you take a lot of like, the the performance aspect of you does that come from your parents at all where do you get that from i think so you know i do tell people i say you know uh politics is theater too mm-hmm. um but i certainly you know my mother has a flair about her um <laughs> and i i i hate to have to admit that maybe i have some of it in me but um you know it's really about storytelling and it's about helping people understand your point of view by by helping them under, understand all of the different perspectives, you know, in a way that doesn't always have to make people feel uncomfortable or defensive. So I certainly try to think about how to convey um, serious issues, sad issues, you know, disturbing issues in a way that doesn't um, make people feel so put off because, 
invariably in all of that, you are trying to deliver a message. But you know, you also have to have some fun. That building, the Capitol is so old (laughs) and the wood paneling is so dark and not many offices have windows or any that are clean that you can see out of. So I figured if I don't have fun on Twitter, then you know, (laughs) what am I doing here? Well, and you have a lot of fun on Twitter. Um, one of the things that you did recently, I think, is you, you, know, you, you actually changed your name. Uh, you, you, your yeah. married name, Dove, got dropped, and now it's back to Sydney Camwager. And I think one of your Twitter uh, little videos was showing you taking the nameplate off the front of your office door. Uh, how did you, first of all, how did you decide, why did you decide to drop your, your married name? Because uh, you're not, you're not uh, others in the legislature, for example, like, uh, Lorena Gonzalez added Fletcher, her married name, and I think maybe she and took it off. Now got rid of it. Off, right? Yeah, yeah, she took it off. So, like, you know, what, what, what went into the decision? So, when I first ran for office, um, I ran, and each time I've actually run for office, my name has been Sydney Camlogger on the ballot, and I have never officially changed my name. Um, um, And so I just wanted to, when I was going to go back to the voters, I wanted to keep it consistent. And three names can get long and unwieldy. Um, And Sydney and Camlogger are enough to swallow on its own. (laughs) And so it was just about sort of keeping things consistent and a little simpler. But, you know, it actually caused more of a ruckus than I imagined because then everyone was like, hey, what's going on? Oh, my God, did you get a divorce? And <laughs> part of the idea behind the video was to let people know I'm happily married. I'm happily married to the same man. Um, we love each other tremendously. But I was just trying to be thoughtful to my constituents and to the voters. I empathize with you. Names, <laughs> getting married as a woman and then the name thing. It's like, it's so hard to I figure know. out sometimes. I <laughs> uh, and I added the dub when I went up there because you're going to be gone three days a week. And so in a way, it was my way of just staying really close to my husband and to kind of, you know, just it's important sometimes to see a name, um, you know, the person that you're married to. So I, I did it when I first got there because it was my way of holding on to what I knew I was going to have to, you know, give up three days out of the week by being in Sacramento. You have um, a good relationship with uh, Senator Holly Mitchell. You worked with her for a long time. Um, what is it like now that you're both in the legislature? Is it odd working with someone who used to be your boss or is it, a, is it cool? Is she was, a, was she like a mentor to, to you? She was a mentor. I, I've known her for close to 20 years. We worked together before she ran for office. I actually talk to her and I see her less now than I did when I worked for her. Um, when I got in, everyone thought, oh, you're going to be Holly Jr. And so then that was a challenge because you have to find your way on your own. And she was really great about giving me the space to create um, relationships, you know, on my own. But it's fun. We now can giggle about, you know, insider stuff that now I understand that I didn't really understand when I wasn't a legislator. Um, You know, and then we kind of get into little, we get into tussles over bills (laughs) and, you know, what's going to happen and who's going to do what. Um, 
So that's actually fun because now I'm like, hey, I'm your equal. I can like <laughs> tell you something now. So that's fun. And but she's I like, yeah, I, but I'm in the Senate. You're in the yeah. assembly. <laughs> I know. I know. She's like, don't get too cute, girl. I'll kill you. <laughs> hey, I want to I want to ask you about something that goes all the way back to 1997. You were in an LA Times series called Money Makeover. Uh, oh, they yeah. give yeah they give financial advice to people they profile. I think you were 24 at the time. You were about to get married and you had a limited budget. And here's one line from the story is, the rub, Cam Lager has champagne and caviar taste and a beer and pretzels budget. Um, My mother loved that quote. <laughs> I mean, who, who of us doesn't have that? <laughs> exactly. So what, what was that experience like being in? Because there was a lot of personal, like where you invested and what mutual funds your money. I mean, there was a lot of personal yeah. stuff. Do you ever look back on that and think, what was I thinking? Yes, and how come I didn't follow my own advice? Um, when I went to school, I realized that I was probably going to stay in the public or the nonprofit sector. And so when I went to graduate school, I started, um, I used to subscribe to Kiplinger's Finance, and I started to invest. And I, but I, and I've kept that, but it hasn't been at the rate that it probably should have been if I'd continued to read those magazines. Um, but it was hilarious because I realized that I really, um, I used to be a saver when I was younger. And then when I started working on my own, that advice kind of went out the window. Um, but I do think about it from time to time when I'm online shopping. I think back to that article and I say, I should not hit the click button. And then I hit the click button. Right. Have you been ordering, doing a lot of online shopping in quarantine? Oh, everything. I have been. (laughs) You know, I have insomnia because of COVID. So I have all these. That's always trouble. You get get online shopping. I I know that. I I have three new swimsuits right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, don't tell that to Gavin. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, right. Don't go to the beach. (laughs) Don't go to the beach. So just real quick, we're almost out of town, but time, but uh, did you know did any of those things that you learned, did you bring those to Sacramento with you about budgeting? Yes. I mean, you know, you can only spend what you have. Um, you have to prioritize the really important items, you know, like rent, like food, you know, transportation. Um, it is important to save because you will always need a rainy day fund. You will always need mad money, as my grandmother used to say. Yeah, um, and, we, and we certainly have some rainy days right now. That's right. That's yeah. right. And take a step back, you know. So yeah. I try not to make impulse purchases. I think about them for about 24 to 48 hours. And if it's still on my mind, then I know that that's what I need to do. And I, I think that's how I think about All right. when I look at budgets uh, and my legislation. Assemblywoman, we are right out of time. Sydney Kamlager, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. This was so much fun. And that's it for this edition of Political Breakdown. It's a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Katie Orr, in for Marisa Lagos. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at one Katie Orr. And I'm Scott Schaefer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Scott Schaefer. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.